gang. We're back again for another podcast with the dynamic duo, as we call ourselves. And we're going to talk today about mild traumatic brain injuries or concussions, which there, I guess, are a lot of phrases or different words for the same thing. What we want to show today is, is mild traumatic brain injury. There's really nothing mild about it. Uh, this definitely fits into the category of vision therapy and, and neuro rehabilitation, so we thought it'd be uh, applicable to talk about. Uh, as a podcast episode, and uh, one thing that uh, we're just visiting about that even though it is a mild traumatic brain injury, there can be very, very non-mild symptoms. So even if patients have scans or they go to you know, multiple doctors, they can have CAT scans, MRIs, that all come back negative, so there's nothing visible on um, the scans that show up, but certainly these patients can suffer from a lot of symptoms, whether it's visual, balance, um, just a lot of uh, things that can affect their daily life, which is hard because these people, you know, walk around just look like they're normal people, but certainly have a lot of symptoms that they're dealing with on a on a daily basis. And that's the main reason why we want to talk about this subject today, and spread the word. And that's the reason for the this overall podcast, just to help make people aware that there is an answer and there's help uh, in, a, in a lot of fashions. And just to make people feel comfortable that there's other people like them out there that are going through the same thing and. There are ways to, you know, make a full recovery, and so that's what uh, we're hoping to share today. Yes, and one other person that has definitely gone through this and been a advocate in spreading the word and, and helping people understand that there is help and has just done a, a great job at that. And just in the few times I've visited with him, one thing that really impacted me is just uh, how gracious and how humble he is and how just willing he is to, to help people, and he doesn't want people to suffer as, as the same way he did. So I just, uh, I've enjoyed visiting with a little bit, and I'm, I'm glad that he has agreed to be on our show. I know he's a busy guy and has a lot of things going on, but thankfully he has taken the time, and his hope was that if somebody can hear this and know that there's help, that they can get treatment and have the same outcome that, that he had. So um, what, we're, what we're talking about today is, is Clark Elliott from DePaul University. Clark is a, a PhD in artificial intelligence. So he, which I think is a cool thing, he studies computer brains, so to speak, uh, and he articulated very well in a book about his journey, struggles, and recovery. And one thing that, as he said, many things, but one of the things that he mentioned is that he began taking notes as soon as the accident happened with no real hope of ever recovering so he, he I'm just thankful that he did I guess and, and that he's willing to share and, and be on the show today so Clark I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and in your book and uh, yeah thanks for being on the show thank you Ryan my book the ghost in my brain how a concussion stole my life and how the new science of brain plasticity helped me get it back chronicles my decade-long odyssey with traumatic brain injury and also recovery I'm one of the very few who ever recovered from this kind of injury, and I know exactly why I recovered. I wrote the manuscript as a story because I thought it would be more appealing to the average reader that way, but it is also a very carefully prepared scientific document. So for eight years, you've suffered from symptoms on a daily basis from your traumatic brain injury, and when Ryan and I most recently heard you talk, you had mentioned that even though it brought up a lot of emotions and you know some of the things that you would rather not have to think about on a daily basis since your recovery but you felt it was needed for people out there like yourself to have some awareness of 
the hope that there are professionals that can, can actually help with some of the um, same things that you went through. Can you tell us a little bit about more of the purpose of your book? There are three purposes. First, I wanted to capture the real experience of brain injury. I had 1,200 pages of scrupulously recorded notes that I'd taken over the course of eight years. I was a professor that understood something of how the brain works. I thought the details of my experience might be an important part of the scientific record. This careful description of the details of brain injury has proven more important to readers really than any other aspect of the book because for many, including those who have lived with this injury for years, it's the first acknowledgement of what they have to live with every day. Second, I wanted to be a champion for neuro-optometric brain rehabilitation techniques. They are based on the modern science that embraces brain brain plasticity, and they work. There are literally millions of people out there whose lives could be improved using these new science-based techniques. Third, I wrote the book as purely a celebration of what it means to be human, the almost fantastical capabilities we have and use every day of our lives without realizing how unbelievably intelligent we are. For example, one human brain is roughly equivalent in processing power to 50 million desktop computers. If we laid them end-to-end, they'd stretch from Chicago to Beijing, with another 3,000 miles beyond that. And we don't realize these fabulous powers we have as human beings until, of course, we lose them. Yes, that's so cool. And just like with anything, you don't know how good it is, I guess, until it's gone. And we all are guilty of of taking things for granted when they work really well, whether it's vision or or our mind, or anything else for that matter. Um, I'm curious, along your recovery, or shortly after your accident, who are the, or what professionals you saw, and, and what did they tell you, or what was the outcome, or, or the potential for recovery uh, as you visited with these various professionals? I heard repeatedly from virtually every practitioner over the course of eight years that I might see some terrorist improvement at one month, six months, a year, and two years. But after that, I would not get better, that no one ever did, and that I would have to just learn to live with my severe symptoms. And that was the best I would ever be able to do. So after meeting with you know, numerous professionals and hearing that there's no hope, there's nothing they can do for you, I'm sure that was, you know, had a significant feeling of kind of being defeated and not really knowing where to go next. So, um, you know, you walking around kind of just looking like a normal person, but certainly there was a lot of things that you were you know, having challenges with or difficulty on a daily basis. Can you give us a little insight as far as some of the, the symptoms that you experienced? I was a typical brain injury case. This means that we need an hour to go over the symptoms I had to deal with every day. But here are a few. I was almost completely normal as long as I didn't have to think. But then as soon as I engaged in any kind of thought, especially anything requiring visualization of symbols or relationships, I was toast within just a few minutes. I was hypersensitive to sensory input, especially sound, which could leave me on the ground in fetal position holding my hands over my ears. I had trouble walking. I couldn't make decisions. I couldn't plan at all. I didn't understand time or how to manage even the simplest of calendars. I had to deal with significant head pain that could easily leave me lying in a bathtub filled with cold water and ice to deal with the head and neck pain. I had difficult balance problems. I couldn't read at times. I couldn't understand jokes. I couldn't initiate actions such as trying to get up from a chair. 
I couldn't follow what people were saying to me because I couldn't keep up with the processing of speech in real time. If I tried to manage rotations of objects, such as when photocopying uh, some papers, I would get seizures that could last for up to three days. I had difficulty walking through doorways because I couldn't make sense of them in the normal way. Logical symbolic reasoning, such as required when balancing a checkbook, would leave me overcome with nausea. It was this way for eight years. I can't even comprehend or fathom some of the things you've gone through, and like you said, you would need a lot more time to mention them all. But I, as we've said before, I thank you for sharing your thoughts and your your struggles so you can help other people, but it's it's still probably not easy to relive some of these things. But, yeah, just trying to put myself in your shoes, I, I just can't imagine some of the things you've gone through. But thankfully the story doesn't end there, and you were able to find some help. And where did you... I guess initially find the the helper or learn that there's maybe some hope or some things that could be done to get you back to 100%. I got no help at all with either the symptoms of my head injury or the injury itself from any of the neurologists I saw, the rehabilitation experts, the emergency room physicians, the myotherapists, and so on. And for eight years, I sought out really anyone I thought who might be able to help me. I got some temporary relief of my symptoms from acupuncture, deep massage therapy, and chiropractic treatment. Practicing Tai Chi almost daily helped a great deal with the quality of my life, uh, but did not help with the brain injury itself. Then, in 2008, eight years after the crash that caused my head injury, I got the help that led to my recovery from Donnelly Marcus, a cognitive restructuring psychologist who worked with, of all things, paper and pencil visual puzzles, and from Deborah Zielinski, an optometrist that emphasized neurodevelopmental rehabilitation techniques and treated her patients primarily with prescription eyeglasses. So to build upon that, through those techniques that were utilized on your recovery, when did you first notice a change and when you started to see yourself kind of get back to normal and how long did that take and where are you at not right now in your recovery process? Believe it or not, within a month of starting the dual treatments, I was, by my estimation, about 70% recovered. At the end of two years, I was fully recovered in all ways, and in fact had also treated some dispositional attentional difficulties that had plagued me my whole life. So after eight years of suffering with symptoms from your injury, and then having the help of a psychologist and a optometrist, you were able to fully recover, which is just a, it's an amazing story. And I'm sure when you went to see them for the first time after hearing over and over that there was nothing that could be done, I'm sure you were a little cautiously optimistic about some of the outcomes. So can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts when you first started working with um, the two doctors that helped you make your recovery? Nothing had helped me at all over the course of eight years. It seemed a little fantastic that paper and pencil puzzles and eyeglasses could treat my obviously complex brain injury. But both Dr. Marcus and Dr. Zielinski seemed to intuitively have a much better sense of exactly what my problems were than anyone else I had seen. And also, they were entirely confident in their abilities to address those problems and fix them. At one point during my first office visit with Dr. Zielinski, she said to me, I don't need to talk over your symptoms further. I know what is wrong with you. Then as she was walking away, she turned back and looked at me over her shoulder with this great smile. And she added, and I know how to fix it.
And the truth is, she did. In our profession, we always say that vision is the dominant sense and kind of the bully. And I even take it for granted how much visual planning and visual perception and and um, this visual spatial ability that we need to be able to navigate around the world, to plan our day, how we plan a month or a year or a calendar, and even more so to transfer speech and text and into meaning and, and make that all line up. And could you share just a little bit about when you started to see some of the changes and how things in, in your world started to make sense again and, and how they didn't before? As an AI scientist, I've come to realize that we are primarily visual spatial beings down to the very core of what makes us human. Most estimates I've seen suggest that 50 to even 80% of our brains get directly or indirectly involved in visual spatial processing at some point. Consider that when we hear the three-dimensional world around us, these sounds all get mapped back to our spatial representation of the world. If we hear a door open, we place it in space behind our right ear. We understand what the concept of a door is, such as what it is used for, who might be passing through it, what color it is. We understand hinges and the concept of opening and passing through an opening and the agency of a person causing the door to open. We understand that we are not the door and how far away it is from us. We recall memories of other doors we have known and have built prototypes of all doors combined together. Each of these processes and all of this symbolic reasoning is highly visual spatial in nature. When someone talks to us, we translate the sound of the words into meaning, and this too is a highly visual spatial process. It's not the sounds that are important or the words, but rather it is the meaning of the words that we traffic in as human beings. And that meaning is so typically represented either as visual images or spatial images. And this would be true also of people who describe themselves as completely non-visual in nature and also people who are blind. They are still very spatial thinkers. So for this reason, it's not surprising that if we want to understand the brain or treat brain injury, we are going to have to do it through the visual spatial processing systems in the brain. So what you've been sharing with us just confirms the fact that the visual system is very complex and it's so much more than just 20-20 eyesight. So when Dr. Marcus and Dr. Zelinsky were working with you, they were actually working on some different areas of the visual system that people maybe aren't as familiar with. So can you ex explain a little bit about those um, parts of the visual system and how they can affect um, kind of the way that we take in vision or take in what we see and how we make meaning of that? There are three categories of retinal processing for us to consider. Only two of them are visual. The first is our center vision, which is that tiny area of processing in the middle of our visual landscape where we are focusing our attention. This is about the size of a dime when we are looking at the far wall of a room. You can see this by looking at a doorknob across the room. You'll find that you can look at the right side of the knob or the left side of the knob and that they are two separate areas of focus. This is generally the only part of our vision that is measured or considered by a traditional optometrist. They ask if some figures in the eye chart are in focus, and if not, they'll give us prescription eyeglasses to bring them into focus. But from a brain injury standpoint, and possibly a general well-being perspective, this is probably the least important retinal processing system. Second is our peripheral vision, which sets the context for and gives meaning to our center vision. This is encompasses a much vaster canvas 
and imparts a great deal of visual information we don't typically think about, consider how difficult it would be to make sense of the world if each eye had the center of a roll of paper towels taped over it. Without context, the center vision is all but useless. Nothing makes sense, and we have to become highly vigilant in constantly figuring out what everything in our world means. Failures in the peripheral processing and the integration of peripheral information with center vision is common in head injury. Third is a collection of non-image forming retinal systems that branch off after the retina to the, to the brainstem and elsewhere. These non-image forming retinal pathways set our spatial grounding in the world. They directly interact with body systems such as those for balancing hormones, sleep cycles, balance, emotions, hearing, spatial awareness, and so on. These pathways are highly integrated with and set the context for both peripheral and center visual processing. They are highly integrated with our body's basic survival systems. Imagine a very large spider appearing next to the right side of your head. Before you can even see the spider, if indeed you see it at all, you are already fleeing down the street. Your heart is racing. Your adrenal glands are pumping chemicals into your body, and so on. Dr. Zelinsky uses the Z-Bell test for measuring and ultimately possibly correcting the non-image-forming retinal processing in patients. Surprisingly, this testing is done with the eyes closed, allowing just enough light through to trigger non-image-forming retinal processing, but not the visual systems. The three retinal pathways work together in exceedingly complex ways, and when they are out of sync, such as often happens with brain injury, the victim's life becomes a nightmare of confusion, often attended by pain and nausea as the brain works overtime trying to make sense of the world. It's kind of comical, but it's hard to use our own brains to comprehend our brain and all the power it has and all the things that it has to deal with on a daily basis and all the things that it has to integrate and make sense. And a lot of it, that is on autopilot and things we don't even realize. One of the cool things that you mentioned in the book and that I've heard you and you visited and, and shared with uh, various groups is, and, and the title of your book, The Ghost, The Ghost in Your Brain, and, and the story of how you you felt yourself coming back, so to speak. That's just a, such a cool and amazing story. It just shows the complexities of of humans uh, as we are and, and that we're not just a, a body and a brain. There's so much more to us. Would you share a little bit on that, please? Within a week of getting the special eyeglasses that we were using to reconfigure my brain, and during that time when I felt like I was a six-month-old infant re-emerging into the world and rediscovering it, during that time, I began to have this very unsettling sense of an apparition following, following me around about 30 feet off my right shoulder behind me. I feared for the first time that I was passing over into, I don't know, some kind of mental illness, almost like being schizophrenic, which worried me a little bit in the first few days that I had this sense of this being following me around. But then I grew more comfortable with it over time, and it was almost like having... Uh, something like Conrad's, Joseph Conrad's secret share following me around. By the second week, uh, this apparition had gotten, oh, maybe uh, 10 feet away from my right shoulder. And by the third week, it was uh, within a couple of feet of me as it followed me around all day. And one evening, after I had finished teaching my class, and 
I have to say again, during this time, I was was having this explosion back into my my ability to perceive the world in a in a normal way, and I, and I was feeling a, a joy in my body that had been absent for almost a decade. So I was in the hallway putting my key uh, into the lock for my office, and I realized, oh. That, that's the ghost of who I had been. That's me coming back, coming home. And I, and I thought, you know, how much I had always loved that person. You know, the, the joy he took in, in sailing boats around San Francisco Bay and the, and the pure joy of mathematics uh, that uh, that child had studied even early on at the University of California uh, during his time at elementary school and junior high school. And, and that guy was now coming home. And I, I went into my office, put my head down on my desk and just, just cried tears at this great gift that I had been given by Dr. Zelensky and Dr. Marcus. I had been given back once again my life in a way that I thought I would never see again. Now, I've heard from many people uh, something I, I really don't know anything about. And they've said, well, in the shamanic tradition, that's the, your soul returning to your body, uh, a body that formerly couldn't support it because of, it had been so injured. Uh, and we might also be uh, suspicious that this is uh, related to the position movement disorder uh, that uh, Giulio Rogini is studying in Geneva. But the truth is, I don't know. And for me, you know, that great moment will always just be thought of as of this, this fabulous gift that I, I wasn't expecting and was so very, very deeply happy to receive. Buck, I just want to thank you again for your time. I know you're a busy guy and have a lot of things going on, but you were willing to take the time to, to share with us in hopes to bring awareness. And even though you've kind of given an insight of the book and, and kind of hit the high points and some of the things that we wanted to discuss, if there's any listeners out there, I mean, the main thing is to buy the book and read it because there's so much more in that book. And so much more that he covers. And I've heard many people say to me that you have given them words to explain the feelings that they're feeling. Because it is sometimes hard to articulate and, and make meaning and help other people understand what you're going through. Because it's so foreign to everybody else, you know, including me. So it's been just a, a valuable tool. Uh, it just uh, touched a lot of people. So once again, Clark, we thank you for your time. And I uh, hope to see you again soon. And um, we just appreciate your willingness to kind of relive some of these experiences that probably weren't the best the best years, but certainly showing at the end that there's there's hope and you were able to recover um, and just letting people know that they're not alone, that some of the things that they're going through, you've been through and you articulate so well in your book. So uh, we certainly hope that people will you know, read the book and understand a little bit more about what's happening in their brain and that there are ways that they can get back to their normal self. I just wish you wish you the best as you continue to to live your life back again and uh, thanks again so much. So once again, this has been another episode of the, the Dynamic Duo podcast, as we call ourselves. We hope that you found this beneficial. I know we sure enjoyed speaking with Clark, and he's um, a really inspirational guy. So it's definitely worth reading the book, even if you're not a traumatic brain injury patient, just to have some awareness and some some empathy with some of the patients that um, have to go through this on a daily basis. Uh, and we're looking for the next guest, so, so stay tuned, and it'll be hopefully out there soon. Until uh, next time.